In the summer of 2008, I bet a friend who worked in finance that Britney Spears, the pop star then teetering on the brink of insanity, would make a comeback within a year. My friend laughed. He told me that Lehman Brothers, the global financial firm then on the verge of bankruptcy, had a better chance of clawing its way back from the brink. Lehman, my friend argued, was too big to fail, and Britney Spears had nowhere to go but down. We all know how this story goes. By the end of the year, Lehman had experienced the biggest collapse the banking industry had ever seen, and Ms. Spears had reinvigorated her brand. It was Britney Spears who was too big to fail. Admittedly, as an entertainment journalist and gossip columnist, I had insider information. That didn't make me feel bad about taking his hundred dollars. I was intimately acquainted with the Spears meltdown of 2007 and 2008. It had been a busy 12 months of pantyless paparazzi photos, puking on her entourage, and bad parenting. Things really started heating up in early January 2008, when Spears locked herself in her Hollywood Hills home, holding her two young sons hostage. While Brittany was locked in her walk-in closet, I was flying back from Des Moines, Iowa, where I had been sent to report on the Iowa caucus, and where the biggest star had been Chuck Norris, karate chopping for a scrum of Republican donors at a diner in West Des Moines. When I landed to catch my connection in Chicago, I had no fewer than four desperate voicemails from my editors at the New York Daily News. Brittany is trying to kill herself. Brittany might kill the kids. Why aren't you calling us back? We need you to get to L.A., my editor barked at me after I was safely allowed to boot up my cell phone. What do you want me to do out there? You'll figure it out. Just go. Thus began my own up-close-and-personal involvement with Spears and a continual dance over that fine line between journalist and paparazzo to find new ways to invade her privacy. It was six months of ups and downs, of rehab and hospitalizations, of court hearings and conservatorships. But by the fall, something miraculous had happened. Somehow, Spears had ceased to be crazy, and industry insiders began flipping her script. Britney was releasing a new single. Britney had lost weight. Britney had a new album. Britney was no longer a train wreck. She was making a comeback. She had brand value again. And that's what inspired this book. Months later, I found myself back in New York at Britney's birthday party at Tenjun Nightclub. It was an over-the-top, circus-themed bash at one of those venues that charge $800 for the right to consume a $40 bottle of vodka while seated at a table. The party was not a celebration for Brittany. The woman couldn't have looked more miserable, propped up in a corner, sipping something non-alcoholic and inoffensive. The celebration was for the team of managers, agents, publicists, and record producers who had crafted a strategy to rebuild the Spears brand, salvage her tarnished image, and start making money from Spears again. They high-fived one another a lot throughout the evening.